0: Romans chapter 10, we're starting in verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ.
1: Last week we uh, based what we shared out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to invite you to go back there for just a moment with me to 2 Corinthians 4, and then we'll come back to this text this morning as we walk through what we'd like to share this morning with you. And last week we, uh, we used Second Corinthians chapter 4 to lay the basis of this We Exist statement that we have now posted on the wall to my right here on the platform. It has been out there and been around, but we posted it last week. And we took time, and you'll, if you want to know more of what we said, you can get that tape or you can listen on the internet, but we want you to hear What we said about that and I'm going to say just a little bit more about it this morning even in that text in Romans chapter 10 it has application to all of this and so for these two weeks we are we are spending some time talking about that and looking at that our goal is Lord willing next week to begin a new series on a fall preaching series which will be entitled seeing the magnificence of Christ in the Gospels. And as I said last week, what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through chronologically as best we can the life of Christ and pick out some of the high points of ministry along that path over the next several months as we unpack that out of all four Gospels. And some of that will determine some of the fact that there's not total disagreement on all of that chronology But we're going to best do the best we can to walk through that and explain to you where there may be some disagreement of exactly when this event and that event may have occurred. But the goal of all of that is what this statement says, that Christ might be magnified. Because all of what we say later, that people might see and savor and declare, all hinges upon Christ being magnified. That's why we exist The fruit of that existence is secondary in that statement. But we exist to magnify Christ. And so we're going to do that on Sunday morning, specifically in the Gospels. I hope we do it every Sunday morning, but this fall we're going to do it through the the account of the Gospels. Now, my hope is that people will see, and I said that last week. My hope is that there will be many, many people who will see, some for the first time, some will, for the first time, see something they haven't seen before. Um, others will just see more of something they have tasted before, and that will just get greater. Their sight will get better as they go along in that series. And ultimately it is so that we, as we see and, and savor, which is seeing more of it, that we will in turn declare it. It will just be the overflow of our hearts to want to share it with others. That's, that's what my hope is. This morning in my Sunday School class, we made the statement, out of Scripture really, and, and the teacher, the, the facilitator in the class, made the statement that the apex of the glory of God, that the pinnacle of seeing the glory of God, is in the face of Christ. Is, is, and the, the apex of seeing it in Christ is in the cross. In other words, if you want to see God's glory at, it, at its maximum, the glory of God at its maximum, you need to look to the cross. And somebody after class mentioned, does that mean the resurrection as well? And yes, it does. Without the resurrection, we're in big trouble. So when I say the cross, that the apex of the glory of God is the cross. It is the death, burial, and resurrection. Because it is the resurrection, which is the stamp of God the Father, that what the Son did was sufficient that it was fully able to do all that it was intended to accomplish. That's why He was raised from the dead. And so you can't have uh, the apex without the resurrection. It all has to go together. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's where you see the greatest degree of it. But you see it all the way along in the life of Christ. The Word became flesh, was what we came out of last week, and dwelt among us. Christ, God, the exact image of God, God himself dwelt among us. And we'll spend time talking about the whole idea of the incarnation in that process. But one of the statements that I made last week was this, and I want to go back to it. I said that the essence, as we began the service, I said the essence of being a Christian is that we see something. That's really what it means to be a Christian, is you see something. That's biblical language. And what you see is the glory of God in the face of Christ. But you don't just see it with your physical eyes. That may be a part of the means by which God helps you to see it with your spiritual eyes, but blind people can see, or else they couldn't be Christians. So when I talk about seeing, I'm not talking about physical sight. Or hearing, I'm not talking about physical hearing. Talking about spiritual seeing and hearing, which are synonymous in Scripture. And it comes through possibly physical sight and physical hearing. You're hearing something today. My hope is that as I preach through the Gospels, you will hear something, physically hear it. But that's not enough. And to physically see it, to read it, is not enough. The Bible talks about seeing at another dimension, it talks about. In Corinthians here, that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ with our spiritual eyes. And in fact, its definition of an unbeliever is they don't see that. They do not see God as glorious. So that's what I mean when I say the essence of Christianity is you begin to see the glory of God, which is most fully seen in the face of Christ. It becomes glorious. Fully glorious? No, that's part of the savoring process. But you start to see glory in it. Now, the reason I stopped to talk about that a little bit is I want to make sure that you understand what I mean when I say you see glory. When I say you see glory, I mean that you begin to see the truth and the beauty and the supreme value of Christ. Seeing spiritually means you see a beauty in Christ. You see a value in Christ. You see a supreme value in Christ. It, it rings true to you. This, this revelation, however it comes to you, rings true in your heart. True in the sense that it becomes and starts to become a treasure. Those are the kinds of words that define this spiritual seeing. So it's different than physical. Physical. It may come through physical, but spiritual seeing is truth and beauty and supreme value and treasure. You see, those are the words that you start to describe God as. That's what it means to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, last week as I began, I t- told you a couple of stories of people who were in the congregation who who had that happen to them. One on a Christmas Eve service, one... Uh, I didn't give their names, but another driving down the road. This week I was in my office and visiting with one of you that are here. And I referenced those illustrations. And I said, this started happening to you a few months ago, didn't it? Didn't it? You grew up in the church. You've been around the church. But all of a sudden, you're starting to see God differently than you used to see Him. You understand what I mean when I say the glory of God in the face of Christ. You understand that, don't you? And the acknowledgement was yes. Yes, something. They started to see something. They started to see it more as, than words on a page or something that went into their ears. But they started to see the truth and the beauty and the value and the treasure. You see? And there are others of you. There are lots of times. I, I use that terminology a lot as I work with people. Because I think it's biblical language. You take scripture and read it and see how many times it talks about seeing or hearing. And it's not talking about physical or hearing or physical sight. It's talking about another dimension. And that dimension has to do with truth and beauty and value and treasuring. It's what 2 Corinthians means. That's why I put you here. This This is what happens when that starts to happen in your life. It is what it describes here in 2 Corinthians when it says, If even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And then he repeats that in different language where he says down in verse 6, This is what happens when, when you start to see this way. This is what has happened. It says in verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's it's as though a switch gets turned on that God turns on. He shones light into our hearts and we see it differently. We see it differently. We see it with spiritual spiritualized. It's not just something my parents told me. It's not just some routine I go about on Sunday mornings. I see it differently. Now, I said to my Sunday school class, we talked a little about that this morning because we're talking about seeing and savoring. And, and sometimes that language can start to make us be a little uncomfortable. And maybe you're a little bit that way this morning. Maybe this is new language to you. It's not, it's not new language to Scripture. It is the language, I think, of Scripture. In fact, Romans 10 is going to take us there, um, and we're going to look at it there. But some of you might be saying, well, um, I thought it was about faith. I thought, I thought it had to do with faith. So you're talking about seeing. What is the connection of those two things? How does faith and seeing with spiritual eyes connect? I think Romans 10 now. Turn there with me. This is the connecting. That's why I had to say what I did to bring you now back to Romans chapter 10 so that we can see what seeing from a spiritual perspective means. Okay? Romans 10. Look, look at what it says. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read that passage again because we need to see it. Beginning at verse 14. It says, But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Remember I said seeing and hearing are synonymous, so here he uses the word hearing. I'm using the word seeing. You can go back and forth with those from a spiritual sense. But what I say here is that the means by which God brings about spiritual sight is by hearing, regular hearing hearing something specific or seeing something specific as you read it. You don't have to hear it. You may read it. There are some people who, who are reading and all of a sudden the light of the glory of God in Christ is shown upon what they're reading, physically reading, and a deeper dimension of seeing happens. Their spiritual eyes are open. That's what happened to Martin Luther. Martin Luther was reading Romans and light came on all of a sudden. He understood spiritually what he was wrestling to understand otherwise. You see, God brings it, but He brings it by means. And the means by which God brings sight is His Word. That's what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, what I'm saying here this morning is the connection. When I talk about spiritually seeing, I think we're talking about true saving faith. Faith, is in that a faith that doesn't that really starts to treasure and really sees the truth and the beauty and the supreme worth. You see that faith that causes us then to to cast ourselves on that in a way because we see it as a treasure, we see it the beauty of it, we see the specialness of it in a way we'd never seen it before. That faith is seeing that kind of faith a faith that then casts ourselves on it as our hope because we see it as the treasure that it is. Now, all of that comes, this this is the point, all of that comes from what he says here in Romans, through the Word, through this revelation, whether it is read, whether it is heard, The way to get to the level of spiritual hearing and seeing is by it physically being read or heard. We hear this word, this word of Christ. And something happens in our life to say this is true. This is true. That's spiritual sight. This is true. This is worthy. This is of supreme value. This is a treasure that I've found And and so that's why we're going to talk about Christ in the Gospels. Because that's the means by which God may bring you, if you're not already there, to spiritual sight for you to see. Or He may just cause your sight to get broader and bigger and grander. The savoring part. You see the connection? When I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about spiritual sight, spiritual hearing. When I'm talking about spiritual seeing, when I say it's the essence i 'm talking about that faith that that connects it connects us to it now this morning, what I want to to say is some things about the word because we 're going to talk about the importance of memorizing scripture, and that will be my last point this morning. But what I want to do now is just for a few minutes say to you some things about the Word, about this written word of God and how important and how precious it is. It is God's means to bring us to see and and so we need to know some things about it. And you know some of these things. Some of the things I'm going to say are, are not new to you, but they need to be things that we're reminded of. So first of all, what I say to you is this word, this word, God's word, his testimony that it talked about in Psalm nineteen, is in fact the means by which God produces faith. Or seeing. That's, that's the means. It is His Word. It is His revelation. It is the Word, if you want to go back, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word. Jesus is the Word. In the sense that He was God speaking to us. And then saw as God this revelation that was given through others that has been preserved for us. This Word. But faith cometh by what? Faith cometh by hearing what? The Word. That's God's means to bring about spiritual sight. So what we ought to be about as people is His Word, is is declaring His Word. Now, some of you may be saying today, let me stop here a minute. Some of you may be saying, I'm still confused. I don't get this. I'm not sure whether I see like you're talking about. I'm not sure. So what do I do? From what I said, what do you do? If you're not sure, what should you do? Just think about that a minute. What should you do? I've said His means is the word faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're not sure, what's the remedy? Right here. If you're not sure, start reading the Gospels. Start reading the Gospels. The Gospel of John would be a good place to start. Start Reading and saying, God, you said that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and I'm not sure, and so I'm just gonna start hearing and seeing physically, hearing and seeing, because that's the way that you take to the next level of it ringing true and of value and as a treasure. And Lord, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to do that for me. I'm gonna ask you to shine the light of the glory of God and the face of Christ into what I'm reading and into my heart. That's, that's where you go if you're not sure. Go to it and see if it doesn't happen in your life. Now, faith, first of all, or, or the word, first of all, is the means to producing faith. We've said that. Secondly, this. I believe, secondly, that seeing produces the most um, profound passion in our souls. That's why I began this morning with that passage that was on the screen. I believe that if you want to have the deepest passions in your life stirred, don't mess around with lesser things. But go to the thing that will produce the greatest and deepest and most satisfying passions in your life. That's what the psalmist said. That's why I put that out there. psalmist wasn't blowing smoke when he said that. It's a reality. God doesn't lay something out there and say, ha ha, here it is. Try to get it. God puts it there because it's truth. And it can happen and it can be a reality in your life. And it should be a reality in your life. Our deepest passions need to come from this book and what God has revealed to us and seeing, spiritually seeing things. And I tell you, once you have tasted that kind of passion, being stirred by that kind of thing, lesser things tend not to satisfy us like they used to. You will want more and more. And God is a giver if we run after that. And so I say to you, don't don't settle for less. We spent a whole series in Philippians talking about deep soul-strengthening joy. Where do you find it? You find it in the Word. You find it in the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's where you find it. And God will not disappoint you as you run after that. If God stirs you to run after that, He will help you to find it in the Word, not in some ambivalent kind of emotional experience. Don't don't go after it there. Don't sit and wait. God, drop this drop this emotion on me. Just let it fall on me. Let me have this experience. Um, That's not where to find it. Where you go is to the Word, and it comes through the Word. I say that to you from experience. I've shared a bit of my spiritual journey, even my class this morning. But for ten years, I kind of wandered in wilderness after I'd initially come to Christ. And I didn't have somebody come around me and say some of the things I'm saying to you. And so for some of those years, I remember my college years at, at a Christian college preparing for ministry. I remember not wanting to miss any service at the church. I mean, we lived 25, 30 miles away in a little town called Bowering, Oklahoma. We had to drive But we didn't miss. But it wasn't really for the right reason we didn't miss. You see, I was living with this whole idea that I wanted to experience some experience and I was afraid the night that that experience was going to come, I might not be there and I'd miss it. Don't live that way. I'm not talking about chasing after experience in that manner. But let let this Word influence your experience. Let this Word, as you see Christ, let that, stir your passions. That's the way. Bible says we should worship God in spirit and truth, but always is truth out front. Truth influences experience, not the other way around. So be careful. So seeing, seeing and the reason I'm passionate about talking about this, the reason we're going to preach through the Gospels is that you might be stirred at your deepest passions by this Word. Your deepest joys this word thirdly it's God's means to sustain faith Satan is a faith eater that's what he's about he wants to eat faith he wants to eat stuff and what he comes and feeds on is our faith he does everything he can to destroy our faith to blind our eyes from seeing that's what he wants to do that's what he's about And so if you want to sustain faith, you must, you must go on and keep on seeing, keep on savoring what you have seen. In different places, in different ways, in different dimensions, from different angles, you begin to see Christ. The gospel is for believers. Remember that statement? You need it to sustain faith. You need it Every day in your life to sustain faith and to feed your faith, to grow, because Satan is wanting to eat it and destroy it. There's two ways Satan works. Two ways, primarily, that he works to eat our faith. First of all, he does it by accusation. The Bible says that and defines Satan as the accuser or the adversary. He does it, first of all, by accusation and secondly, by temptation. In other words, he accuses us of the sin we've committed. Or he tempts us to do sin that we haven't yet committed. That's the way Satan works in our lives. He's the accuser and the tempter. So accusation. He comes to us. What do we do? Let me illustrate this to you this morning, what I did this week. I want you to turn to the book of 1 John, if you can find it. 1 John chapter 2. We come to to 1st and 2nd Peter and then to 1st John chapter 2 let me let me read some of this let me just illustrate to you as satan comes to me as accuser and he does because he is the accuser that's the way he will come to me he accuses me of sin and rightfully accuses me of sin at times so what do i do with that as the accuser he comes 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14 go there first this is, this is John he's saying why he writes he says I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one so first of all see that he says young men I write to you because the word of a God abides in you you have it in you you know it You've seen it, you've read it, you've heard it. You know, you hold on to it, and it does something. It overcomes the evil one. So there's a connection with overcoming the accusations of the evil one in the word, in the scriptures. Now let me show you how it worked for me this week. Look at John chapter 1 John chapter 2. And here's John is writing and he says, "My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin." Yeah. I mean, the Word of God keeps us from sin. I mean, it it can help keep us from sin. So he writes that you may not sin. John's desire is that the people he's writing to don't sin. It's good. It's what should. Less and less. Sin should have dominion over us. Less and less. It's a good thing. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul says. No. Should Christians be continually, habitually involved in sin? No. No, that's a no-brainer. He writes that we may not sin. But he doesn't stop there, fortunately. Because he goes on to say, but if anyone does sin. Ever been in that category? You know you shouldn't, but you did. And the longer you walk with Christ, you see things that you didn't think were sin that are. And you begin to define sin right over here. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's a pretty encompassing definition of sin, isn't it? So you you shouldn't sin. But it goes on to say if anyone does sin, if anyone doesn't do everything to the glory of God and sins, What's it say? Say, you're out. You're finished. Satan's right. You're guilty. Is that what it says? He's the accuser. He's going to say that. Does it concur? No. Here's what it does it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But this is the line this week that just burst out that helped me to savor Jesus Christ more. When it said, He is the propitiation for our sins. You see, this is what John's saying. Don't sin. But, if you do, don't despair. Because Christ took the penalty for that sin. You see, Satan can still accuse us. He just can't accuse us successfully. And the way we fight that, Is with the Word. Because John says two things. Don't sin. But if you do, Jesus is your propitiation. Go there. Don't go to despair, but go to Christ. And propitiation means He deferred the punishment for that sin away from you to Himself. He took it. He took the hit for you. And be grateful. And when you start to see it that way, you know what happens? you can better fight sin the next time it rolls around. But if you let Satan accuse and you don't go there, you're weaker the next time the same temptation comes. And if you don't go there again, you're weaker the next time. And you see how Satan then wins the day and why he comes with accusation? He knows it isn't successful in the sense of sticking, but that doesn't stop him from doing it and wrecking havoc in lives of Christians. Don't sin. Don't sin, Ron Wickard. That's why I wrote that. But when you do, and if you do, remember Christ is the propitiation for your sin. And let your soul be strengthened by that. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, not only is he the propitiation, not only does he take the hit, and you won't have to experience it, but, He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, praying for you. You see, that's the Word. That's seeing the glory of Jesus Christ for me. That's savoring Jesus Christ because Satan wants to destroy our faith. He wants to eat it. He wants to wreck it. And the way that my faith is sustained is by that kind of thing. I see that and my soul rather than despairing takes hope even as i sin you see how it works that's what savorings about that's what letting the word strengthen you now you know you, you could you could just decide well I, you know i'll just admit it i sinned just hope God'll forgive me he's a he's a wonderfully loving god and he'll forgive me and it's not you know maybe he didn't see it or he'll overlook it and you know you can go through all kinds of stuff out there and you can maybe try to convince yourself and get some kind of weak kind of comfort or you can go to the scripture and get the truth and the truth is yeah you're guilty you sinned and you should suffer judgment for that but you don't have to because Christ took it you see the solidifying effect that has on your life when you start to savor Christ in that way it it strengthens our souls it builds our faith it it opens our eyes to want to see more of this in our lives the second way that Satan works is that he tempts us he tempts us He, he brings accusation and then he tempts. Now, don't think of temptation only as uh, immoral behavior. I mean, temptation can be to immoral behavior, to bad stuff. I mean, Satan does that. Young people at school, he does that. Let, let, I don't know if I have time for this, but let me say this. Let me say this to guys. I may get out here on a limb and get myself in trouble. I, I read this this week. It was wonderful. Guys, you struggle with stuff. You know what I'm talking about. If you stay in a dark place, you'll struggle more. If you stay in a dark room, you'll struggle more. You know what somebody told me? Go out and get under the heavens. Go out and begin to look into the heavens and see the glory of God when those fires are raging inside of you. There's something about seeing the glory of God in the heavens that fights that, that the darkness doesn't help you with. You can't have and see the glory of God and continue in sin at the same time can't do it that's good advice I wish I'd have heard that when I was your age but let me say to you this morning don't just think it's that that's not the only way that Satan tempts us or something like that you know other ways he tempts us he tempts us with cancer he tempts us with the loss of a loved one he tempts us with the sickness of our children or financial hardship or marital tensions And what does he tempt us to do? What does he do? He eats faith, doesn't he? He tempts us to forsake our faith. That's what the temptation is about. And we can forsake our faith in immoral behavior or we can forsake it in cancer and marital problems. He doesn't care as long as we forsake it. So how do we counterbalance that? How do we come against that? By seeing the words, He is the propitiation for our sins and things like that. Starting to see the glory of Christ, of what He's done for us, again and again in all kinds of places in Scripture. And what we're going to do is we're going to find it in the Gospels, Lord willing, in the next weeks. So, it sustains faith. Two final things, and then I'm going to close this morning. I said this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it. You can get the tapes. You can go online and listen to it. But in the last few weeks, I've shared this a couple of different occasions. But you need to hear this. The reason we need the Word to help us is because we need to come to the understanding that the Word is more true than our feelings. That the Word is more true than our feelings. Just what I gave you in in 1 John. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But I did sin. I didn't live to the glory of God as I should. And I'm the pastor. I'm the one who has to get up on Sunday mornings and tell you that you shouldn't sin. And, and what, what happens is I think, oh, how could I do that? How could I have said that? Or how could I have acted that way? Or how could I have done whatever I did? how and my feelings run rampant and there was a time when i couldn't stop that but you know how i stop it now i just go back to this it says he is the propitiation he took my punishment and i began to believe that's more true than the feeling that somehow god is going to get me someplace cuz i'm the pastor does that does that make sense His word is more true than whatever feelings you may have. And starting to live there makes huge differences in our lives. Finally, I'm going to say this, and we're going to close and talk about Scripture memory. This is all because I wanted to talk about Scripture memory this morning. Finally, all of that that I said is true and this, that we need the word readily available to us. You need it. Because when Satan accuses and Satan tempts, sometimes you don't have time to pick up your Bible. Now, it's a good thing to pick it up if you have one close and can do it. But sometimes you don't have it there to do that. And so scripture memory is about having it readily available to come to you when you need it. I've shared this story, and so for you who've heard it, bear with me, but some haven't. In those early days, those first 10 years of my Christian life, I got beat up pretty bad and beat around. I was was even here in ministry three or four years, getting beat up pretty significantly. In the early 80s, I started to see more of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God brought some things into my life, and that began to change and and solidify some. One of the things that happened in that 10-year journey to that point was... That I would let my feelings control me and I'd have great fear. Fear in my heart running rampant and have to tell other people don't fear and all that kind of stuff as a pastor. That, you, can, you can see how that gets multiplied. But one of the passages that God took me to, because the bottom line of my fear was that, that's, that I would be put to shame. The bottom line of that first 10 years was I didn't have a very good confidence in God. And so my fear was this, in, in one way or shape or another, my fear was that I will lead others and myself be be damned. In other words, I'll lead others to to trust in Christ, but ultimately I'll be found out as a fraud, because you know, I just I I wrestled. I mean, stuff going on in my life, and and I didn't have it all figured out, and and uh, would get confused, and Satan would accuse, and I'd. You know, just you understand that if you're in that, you know what I'm talking about. So I that was the fear here. I'm leading others and I myself don't have it all figured out. And what am I doing? And some of that came out, I think, of my early childhood of fear and some of those things that you carry over. This is the way to illustrate it. This is this is the way I lived. Um, I when I was a child, I worked in a grocery or not a child, but a, a high school student and a college student. I worked in a grocery store. And they were wonderful to me. They let me come home on breaks, and I worked in there, and I loved it. I thought I was going to be the store manager someday. I'm I'm saying that with all seriousness. That's where I thought I would be the rest of my life. My dad was a traveling salesman, worked for Heinz Company for a lot of years, and I loved it. I loved being a part of that. But I worked my way up enough that eventually I got to close a fairly significant market. I I was young. I was in college doing this. And the manager trusted me enough to close the store. And closing the store meant you went through all the registers, you put the money from each register into an envelope and the checks, and you put that in a bag and you put it in the safe. And and then when you went to close the doors of the store, you went back to the safe and you took that money and you took it to the bank and put it in the in the night depository. And it was, I mean, I used to think, what in the world? If this had ever get lost, how would they ever track all this? It was. Thousands and thousands of dollars. They should have. They literally should have had an armored car pick that up. I was doing stuff that an armored car should have been doing. But this is where I live. This, this gives you a picture of where I lived in those, those days. As I was a Christian, the hardest thing for me to do when I closed that store, you know what it was? It was to walk out of the store. I would second guess myself. Did I, did I really lock that back door? Is it, is it locked? I would go back sometimes and check. To make sure it's locked. That was my personality. Insecurity. See the insecurity in that? So I carried that over to my Christian life. And for, for those first years of my Christian life, I lived in insecurity. That kind of insecurity. Did I really shut the door? Did I really trust Christ? Is He really my Savior? And, and Satan used that. He would beat me up with that. That whole issue of assurance... Until, until I learned to read what I read to you. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our propitiation. And I started to land there and just stay there and not let those emotions control me. Your word is truer than my emotions. But there was a scripture that I had in my mind because I couldn't always pick up my Bible. What the Scripture that brought me out of that was Psalm 25, and you find it multitudes of times in Scripture. But in Psalm 25 it says, He who believes in me will never be put to shame. What was I afraid of? Well, ultimately I was afraid you know, I wouldn't lock the door, I wouldn't take the money that, but I carried it over in my Christian life. I was afraid that I would preach to others and myself be lost. Didn't do it quite right. And what I had to do was say, God, you said, I don't understand all this. I'm confused. I'm young in ministry. But you said, if I believe in you, if I cast myself on you, I will not be put to shame. And I knew what that shame meant. That meant ultimate shame of being cast away from his presence. And I just, I just held on to it. I held on to it. I couldn't open my Bible when that would come. I just started holding on to the scripture. You see, I put it in my heart, my life, and I just hung on to it. And I hung on to it long enough that it started to ring true in my life. And that's what Scripture memory is about. That's why we need to hide God's Word in our heart. Because you need that. You need to put it there so it's readily available in your life. It's readily recallable. When the accuser comes or the tempter comes, there's just Scripture that comes to your mind. Something to solidify that, that unsettledness that enters in. And so what we're going to ask this morning is for you to consider being a part of this whole program. What we're going to do is we're going to pass out some cards in the pew rack. The ushers are going to come right now and begin to pass them out. Everybody just needs to take one. The first step is just to take a card. I mean, you, you don't have to do anything with the card ultimately except turn it back in if you want. But everybody has a card. Everybody take a card in the pews. And then we're going to sing together in closing as you look at this card and consider it and think about it possibility of being a part. We just need to know tally. We're, we're not tracking who's a part and who's not. In fact, we don't even ask you to sign this. We just want to know how much it's happening within our body. So you don't have to put your name in it. So we won't know who is and who isn't doing it. It's not that kind of a thing. It's just to give us a better idea of who might start out in this journey to memorize Scripture. To put it in our hearts so it's readily available for us. And that God might use it to help us to be strengthened, our faith to be strengthened. And so take those cards, and as you take them, let's just remain seated. Matthew's going to lead us in a song that talks about seeing, and then we're going to come back and share how to turn these in. Mm Morning, you hopefully all have a card. The thing you might not have is a pen or a pencil. Somebody in the pew just take charge of this, will you? And make sure that nobody would not have an instrument that they need. And we'll make sure we just leave them in the pew. If it's not your pen when you get it at the end, just leave it in the pew. They'll come get it, okay? I want you to consider this. And again, we don't need names. If you want to put names in, that's fine. But we do want to know your age. If you could tell us what age you are so that we know kind of what demographics are participating in all of this. And then this statement, that says, I will join the church family in the Fighter Verse Scripture Memory Challenge. I pledge God helping me to learn at least one passage of Scripture each week. And that's our goal, to learn a passage of Scripture each week. Now, sometimes that will be one verse, as it is as we launch it this week. It's one verse, but sometimes it will be two or three verses to get the whole thought. And one thing we will do is we'll stop periodically. After we've, after we've gone through 25 verses, we'll, we'll stop for a minute and let everybody catch their breath and let everybody kind of review those and so that we get them into our, our lives and our hearts. So we'll have a rhythm about it. That's why those verses that are on that list are going to take us, uh, Lord willing, from now until a year from Christmas. That's the first section that we're going to work on. And uh, will we all do it perfectly? Probably not will we be better off than we are now if we make an attempt to start? Yes. And I don't want to minimize that. I think it'd be good to know them all, to learn them all. We're going to we're going to push to do that. But I really want you to consider don't don't look to the person next to you or whatever. Just just your own response. Now we're going to just kind of bow our heads all of us if you're not looking around, let people respond and then we're going to have plates kind of pass here. If you don't get yours done before those plates pass, just make sure they get in the plates. We'll set the plates out in the foyer. Just drop it in there as you exit the sanctuary this morning if you haven't got it filled up at that point. But let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that you will help us. I, I pray, Father, this, this is just another means, Lord, to, to make your word what it ought to be for us, Father. Some already do scripture memories. Some have... Lots of passages that they've put to memory. But I just believe, Lord, circumstances don't always avail us to opening a Bible or getting to go home and spend some quiet time. But, Lord, we need to have your word readily accessible in our minds. And that it needs to guide our thoughts and help us as the accuser comes to want to eat our faith, tempt us, Father, in ways to deny our faith. I pray that this will strengthen our hearts and our hands, Lord. I pray that you will, um, you will use it in our lives. And uh, many, Father, will find that, that you have used it to great benefit to help them to see and savor your Son in ways they wouldn't have had they not participated. So, Lord, we thank you for that and the fruit of all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's have those plates come. I'm going to make one more statement and then we'll be dismissed this morning. If you can just start passing them and let them get by before you actually stand and or exit this morning. Just go ahead. I realized here, you realize things as you go along. I, my wife is heavily involved in this and, and, and wants as, obviously as many children to be involved in it. I realize the children are not here this morning so we're not we're going to collect these cards for a while if i she may have taken them with her i'm not sure what they did in children's church but if you go home with your children and know they're participating uh, make sure that we get a card in the bulletin or in the in the offering plate today later if you if you talk to your children or maybe they have them or or if they haven't turned one in make sure they get a chance to respond to this if they're participating in it in that regard so god bless you this morning it's It's wonderful to have you here. Fall is a wonderful time as we start to collectively gather back in after mixed up schedules through the summer. And I just pray, and you pray, that God will help us to magnify Christ and that we will just see Him as we walk through these Gospels together. God bless you this morning. You're dismissed.